Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Trending on every media chyron this morning is Ukraine and the full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine. So trending hashtag Ukraine, trending hashtag Putin, trending hashtag World War III. Um, I don't believe it is yet World War III, but that is what's going on. Other things trending right now, U.S. truckers have embarked on a cross-country drive toward Washington, D.C., They will, in my view, stay outside the Beltway so as to avoid um, federal agents and agencies. And so if you are a person who lives in the Washington, D.C. area, um, you can just anticipate the Beltway is going to be a mess um, and traffic will be paralyzed by by this effort between now and the State of the Union address. Uh, I also think that uh, the seriousness of what's going on in, in Europe and specifically in Ukraine might might lead to changes of attitude and approach to things here as well. Um, this is going to be a really, really sober time. The U.S. has deplored, deployed forces in response to Putin's Ukraine moves. Obviously, those forces are only going to NATO-allied countries, but they have been deployed. So we do, uh, this is what we do here on Mornings with Carmen. If you're just joining us for the very first time, I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Faith Radio. We take the mind of Christ and we apply it to the headline news of the day. So what do we say about these things? We take a deep breath and we acknowledge that God is God and God is good. God has the whole world in his hands, um, that he gives people the freedom of their will, and sometimes they do very bad things. We also um, have sober judgment about what is happening in our lives, and we and we say to ourselves, there are days in which it's okay to sort of lift up, well, the headlines I would have lifted up today. Like we would have talked about Hank the Tank, the 500-pound bear, um, who has now broken into more than 30 homes in Lake Tahoe. But probably not talking about Hank the Tank today. Why not? Because we look at um, the full range of things we might discuss and we say, as Christians, we need to have some sober judgment. And we need to talk with seriousness about the things that are happening in the world. Because people are going to need us to walk into conversations today and speak the mind of Christ. They're going to need that today. They're going to be people who are totally freaked out, not only by what's happening in Ukraine, but by what will happen as a result of what's happening in Ukraine in the U.S. stock market, let's say, which it's, it, it, it's going to open hideously low. Like everybody should anticipate that and you should know that and you shouldn't panic about that. Some other things I expect to hear uh, today, I expect to hear from the president of the United States and others in congressional leadership specifically that the U.S. is now going to absolutely have to focus on improving energy security and energy independence. We're going to absolutely have to focus on global supply chain resilience. We're going to absolutely have to focus on military force readiness. 
and restore our military to its ability to fight a two-front war. Um, We're going to absolutely have to focus on improving global alliances in every direction. To ask ourselves why we expanded NATO to the point that we did and, you know, uh, is Article 5 going to hold? We're going to have to have those sober conversations as a people. Um, And as Christians, we need to be read in on that. We're also going to need to be prepared today to deal with our own feelings and how other people are feeling. We know, we know that there are going to be wars and rumors of wars. We have read Matthew 24 and 25. We have read the book of Revelation. We have read the prophecies of Daniel. Like, we know. We're sober. We know. Other people don't know. Other people don't know how to respond to bombs bursting in air. They don't know how to res- respond to live reporting via Twitter from basements in Ukraine. They, they don't know how to respond when they see attack helicopters blowing up a coastline in Odessa that looks an awful lot like the Michigan coastline uh, at the Great Lakes. Like, they, they don't know. Cyber attacks are going to come. People aren't going to have prepared in advance. Fear is going to be real. So as Christians, how do we take a deep breath, apply the mind of Christ, operate out of faith, and say to ourselves, preach the gospel to ourselves and everyone around us, I have an eternal perspective, a cosmic perspective. I have prophetic sober judgment. God has told me in advance I know there's a redemptive arc to history. I am filled with hope. My joy is unassailable. And I live without fear. I trust God. Yes, even in the midst of this. Dr. Peter Kapsner is going to join us next. We're going to survey some of the headlines of the day. We like to talk about relationships, we like to talk about identity. We're also going to talk about pillow fights. Yep, pillow fighting. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, as he does every Thursday morning, Dr. Peter Kapsner. Welcome back, sir. Thanks, Carmen. That was a profound opener you just gave. I think we've got a lot that we can swim around in related to that topic, but also the topic we're going to talk about. Yeah, so I want to talk about, I want to talk with you about identity. Um, Because who I am in Christ and who I know myself to be as a, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and therefore an ambassador thereof, like all of that seems to be really important today. So how we see ourselves, who we're living as in the world. So I want to jump to the um, the Gallup poll that just came out recently about how Americans see themselves, how they self-identify in terms of, um, and first of all, the fact that we quote-unquote identify as heterosexual or cisgender or LGBTQ, like, right, Somehow that that almost seems like nonsense in the midst of the conversations that we're having globally today. And yet for a lot of people, this is all they care about. So talk with us about what uh, what Gallup found 
Um, and then let's talk about identity issues uh, writ large. Yeah, the stats are probably unsurprising within this Gallup poll as they begin to survey people's uh, perception of their sexual identity. So I know people that listen to your show regularly are quite familiar with this conversation from a number of different angles in terms of the sheer volume of letters from which a person can choose in order to identify themselves. And they're really making a macro full identity statement about themselves based on uh, a sense of attraction or a sense of self that they have. And then they can choose from anywhere between 120 to 150 letters to then say, this is my identity. And what the Gallup poll found is that more and more and more, and, and it's, uh, it's certainly over 5%, if not upwards of 7 I've seen some stats as high as 10% of people are identifying themselves in non-traditional, non-binary kinds of ways. And and sometimes, you know, people could could question those stats, except that when I'm with young people and I have about 90 of them in my classes throughout the week right now. So it's, it's a pretty significant survey of young people. And then my own daughter, who is attending university overseas right now, she got part of a drama club overseas and she was literally in the entire drama club, the only uh, young woman who would say, so I'm straight female, and and she has this incredible ability to be an ambassador in the midst of those communities, but uh, everybody else in that entire drama club was identifying within one of the other 120 to 140 letters. My young people are reporting the same things here at a traditionally conservative institution are saying, yeah, this is what is going on among us and our friends, and so... There's, you know, there's, there's a lot you and I need to talk about. So I'll leave it there in terms of just describing what's going on, and then you and I can probably talk about. So what do we do from here? How do we understand this? Well, and how do we speak to a generation of people, twenty percent of whom um, either identify as LGB or T, or they don't have an opinion in answer to the question? Right. Like five percent of this, you know, of this particular uh, of the adults in this particular age group, twenty to twenty five. You know, 5% of them, that's a fairly large percentage of people to not have an answer to the question. It is. It, it, it is, Carmen. And I think you and I were talking just briefly during the break that uh, among the many reasons why this might be, especially persistent within Christian community too, is that it really is a failure of discipleship. If, if we think of discipleship as what it is that I'm becoming, who it is that I'm becoming, what what am I growing into, what is my narrative about life? Uh, mm-hmm. what, what, is my, what is my heart growing into? All of those things are part of the discipleship journey. It's what it means to become an apprentice in the kingdom means you're growing within the power, authority, complexity, awareness of what kingdom life is about. And I think that our young people have been terribly effectively discipled by the many voices that are coming into their lives all day. The, the primary ones are the, the schools and media are, and then the friendships. So those three spheres have been really effective in shaping the narrative by which young people live. And by contrast, churches, I, I think we're well past the time of doing away with more the seeker, what's called the seeker model of church that, that seeks to bring people through the doors, create some comfortable situations. Um, there was, there, I think there was a reason for that when Willow Creek started this out of the Chicago area some 25, 30 years ago, and, and just creating the kind of environment where it was just a little bit more interesting to come to church. Like, I, I sympathize with that. But what that led to was primarily a coffee shop driven sort of church. It, it created entertaining, amusing sermons. Um, but what it didn't do is, and I think by almost any metric, is it didn't get us into the complexity of what it means to be an ambassador of Jesus in a very difficult world filled with this present darkness, which is why, as you said at the opener, 
it's we need to remember who we are and how we can function within a world of complex warfare where there's a lot of mm-hmm. actors on the stage. We need to know how to talk through these issues of sexual and gender identity. And, and that is a discipleship issue, Carmen. It's not anything else than that. It's a discipleship issue about how to teach people to live within kingdom narrative. And it requires much more than an hour-long service on a Sunday morning uh, with coffee and, and some good worship and maybe a 16-minute sermon. And I'll say this, my young people are dying for it. I do have the, the very um, unique opportunity of being with them 200 minutes a week in a class on sexuality for about 14 weeks. And I get done with those 14 weeks and I, can we please have 14 weeks more? They're, they're just dying for the opportunity and churches have a great opportunity here to do that kind of thing. Mm, absolutely. All right. We, we don't want to miss the opportunity. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner in just a moment. Um, I'm going to turn us to a headline from the New York Times. I know, I know, brace yourself. Here comes the broom Yep, you you heard that right. Here comes the broom. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. <laughs> All right, we're talking with Dr. Peter Kapsner. That is um, the Here Comes the Bride music. It probably has a more formal title. Paul Perot, producer uh, of the show right, and all things right. musical. What is that? <laughs> I'd have to look it up. I don't know the actual title, but yeah. Yeah, no. It's here, the, here comes the bride, all dressed mm-hmm. in white. Da, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those of you that are experts on this subject, you can now text us the accurate information at 877-933-2484 because somebody knows. Okay. So, um, Peter, we're talking with Dr. Peter Kapsner. The article that I sent you from the New York Times style section, which I know you probably don't spend a lot of time reading the style <laughs> section of the New York Times. But now that I have turned you on to it, you may say to yourself, oh, I've been missing something. Here's the um, here's the lead. Here comes the broom, the quote bride and quote groom. Poor tomato. I don't know. This must be the way it's merged together. Just one of the terms being used by couples seeking less traditional ways to define their unions. So the word broom here is uh, merging together of the words bride and groom. Um, And it's just one example of the way that people feel apparently free and at liberty to absolutely make of marriage and the wedding ceremony and all things related to it in their own image. Hmm. Yeah, it, it. I mean, this is what, what I'll say is there's an intellectual consistency happening here, meaning that based on the conversation we just had, if we are going to embrace the narrative, a false narrative, but a, but a powerful narrative, nonetheless, that you identify your sense of self by your uh by your, your, your sexual attraction that you might have, then you tend to walk into marriage ceremonies with that sort of context, which means that you're probably not going to be able to identify yourself traditionally as a bride or as a groom. And so the broom is, is this mashup of gender. There's a number of terms that go along with it, um, you know, flower person uh, or I, I don't think you could have a groomsman in a lot of uh, weddings right now, too. And so I... I we have to be careful how I say this. I appreciate the intellectual consistency because people aren't playing games. They're like, we really are going to live by, by this narrative. And when, when you have a narrative like that, that is intellectually consistent, but spiritually false, it's something that you can begin to deconstruct pretty clearly. But I think it's hard right now to know what to do because there are loved ones in our lives that may be identifying themselves by a different kind of pronoun now. And, and, and it begs the question, what do we do 
as believers, because if you go ahead and embrace their version of the pronoun, you might be tacitly supporting their move within this false sense of self. But if you reject the pronoun, then you might alienate them and they will say, well, I don't want anything to do with this as you're trying to maybe live out the long game of a, of a redemptive person in their life. So it's a puzzling question right now, Carmen. I know you and I have talked over the, the months and I know you've addressed it on the show about, so what do we do in sort of the short term, if we're going to rebuild a discipleship community, like we talked about, that's going to probably take a few years of letting some versions of church fail and let new versions of discipleship-based churches emerge um, onto the scene. That that has the power to re-equip people. But in the meantime, we are talking about what do we do? How do we handle this? Because there's a lot of angst when our loved ones around us are adopting new pronouns. What, what do we do that doesn't support and what does we do that doesn't reject that whole thing? Yeah, and I think those are individual like those are those are decisions that we make in in a moment in the context of a specific relationship. And so I want to acknowledge that. I want to um I want to honor that. Right? I mean, I want to recognize that each and every one of us has people in our lives who live with the kind of confusion that leads to and results in events where an individual would, instead of describing him or herself as the bride or the groom, would describe themselves as the broom. And we then have to make that gut-wrenching decision about whether or not to participate Mm -hmm. or or what to participate in, you know, whether or not uh, to use the name they've now chosen, um, how to introduce the relationship to our kids. Like, it's complex and it's hard. Um, and so I don't, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of easy for me to, you know, to look at the list of things and say, oh, yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about, instead of talking about the maid of honor, we're going to talk about the person of honor. Or we're going to start talking about the flower person instead of the flower girl. Or, you know, people are going to have a bachelor X party or whatever. Um, but there's a lot more serious, uh, there are a lot more serious things at issue. And I think you're helping us see that. Yeah. And I think that's, we just need to puzzle in the, in the present and kind of muddle our way through while we work at getting equipped about how to handle it. But I appreciate what you said, because it's not a one size fits all response. And so part of the, the twofold move of discipleship in these moments is to equip and empower yourself uh, the best that you possibly can. I know it took me probably the better part of nine to 12 months to study same gender relationship issues when it first emerged on the scene in about 2014, 15, and in a much more uh, accepted fashion because of the Obergefell Amendment making same-gender marriage the law of the land. So it took me nine to 12 months to understand the science and understand the sociology and understand religious history. And there was just a lot of research that needed to happen that I couldn't, I I, I wanted a, a five-second answer on that, but I couldn't, um, couldn't get that. And so that's the first mm-hmm. thing. And then the second thing was that then you have to be able to have discernment in the moment. You need, you need to learn how to cultivate God's voice communally and individually in the moment to know how to handle from a kingdom standpoint any given situation. And that requires discipleship too. Discipleship is twofold. It's an it's a intellectual knowledge, but it's also a spiritual knowledge. And, and we become really powerful people to the extent that we grow within our humility, having given our lives to Jesus. I mean, that's the evangelism, right? We say yes, and our life is not our own. It's been bought with a price. Then you start growing as an apprentice or a disciple in these two forms of knowledge, one intellectual and one spiritual. And you really do become a powerful person, not like social powerful. I just mean able to stand on a rock in the midst of the storm kind of person. And and I know that's what you're cultivating mornings on this show is that that's what it means to bring the mind of Christ, right? The, The mind intersects with our mind and our heart. 
and we grow in these ways. And I just, I love the discipleship. The point is, I love the discipleship you're doing. The texts are coming in. I know you won't read them all, but people are so appreciative of what you said about the, at the top of the hour, the Ukraine conflict and, and what we're talking about with uh, some of these uh, sexual revolution kinds of letters. I mean, people need, they're, they're hungry for these conversations, Carmen. Yeah, I want to highlight um, one note. Um, but before before we do that, I, I promise I'm going to highlight um, the notes from those of you who have texted in. I genuinely appreciate it. Um, but but because you and I have such a unique relationship on the show, people would have their feelings hurt if we didn't um, cover what you and I have exchanged this week as what we think is probably the most important trend happening um, in the culture. And that is that MMA. Uh, oh, no. It's not really. That's not really the headline, right? MMA is not really stepping aside for the latest Fight Club. No, but they're going to be under threat. About, yeah. <laughs> tell people about pillow fighting at Fight Club. I love this. I, for, for people that have been averse to the blood that is shed during uh, mixed martial arts fighting, which is, you know, has been the rage for the last 15, 20 years. And, and I admit it's not palatable to me. I can't watch the bloodshed, but people certainly love it. Carmen, I'm pretty sure I could watch some derivative of it. And that's get into that squared circle w- with the fenced in ring and grab some good old English feather pillows and just have at it. I mean, don't, don't bring your foam to the ring. The foam isn't going to go anywhere. You need an English. So I think when I get home this afternoon, I'm going to pluck all six of my chickens and uh, and just impact that pillow and go to town. I, I've invited Perot over tonight, you know, to see if we can just have a go at it. So far, he's resisted my overtures to come over for a pillow fight. You didn't ask me. Don't say that. <laughs> I love this. I was just I thinking how much better it would down, be if, if pillow fighting was like, right, the worst of yes. our warfare. If that's yeah. how we settle things was with the English yes, feather pillow pillows, fights. I'm all in. That's yeah. exactly right. <laughs> um, hey, Vera, um, I see you out there. Thank you so much. Um, Vera was uh, born in Moldova. She remembers very clearly the conflict in 1992 when the men of Moldova went to war with Russia. Um, she also uh, remembers, you know, the, the fear of living uh, in the shadow mm. of uh, of Russia um, and she says, I'm a compassionate nurse going to work today with a broken heart. Mm. Um, Vera, we're with you. Thank you for being here with us. We are lifting up prayers today and in an ongoing way for the people of Ukraine and all those um, who, you know, are, are living with fear today. Um, we acknowledge that. We recognize it. We recognize God's goodness and his grace. And we speak it. Um, we speak it into the world that he so loves. Dr. Peter Kapsner, thank you so much for joining us today. As always, we got to take a break for Breakpoint. When you think about kids today and you think about the education they're receiving, um, first of all, hats off and standing ovations to everybody listening right now engaged in kids' education. Those of you who are teachers and administrators, those of you working in special education, uh, those of you working um, in multiple languages, uh, serving kids from whose first language is not English, Um, Hats off to those of you who are coaches and work with kids in after-school programs. Uh, Hats off and standing O's to every teacher listening right now, homeschool moms, people who serve on school boards, on and on and on and on and on. Here's the question we're going to address next. Um, Has the alliance between teachers and parents been broken? And if so, is it irreparably broken? 
So there used to be this alliance between teachers and parents in terms of education. And it seems as if those uh, alliances are not only frayed, but torn apart. So we're going to talk with Leonard Sachs about that, um, dealing not only, you know, how how teachers and administrators can deal with difficult parents, but, you know, how parents can deal with teachers. Because ultimately, what we all have an interest in is the welfare and education of the children. So Dr. Leonard Sachs joins me next. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and you're listening to Faith Radio. Now I'm alive and born again, rescued from the grave. Joining us now, Dr. Leonard Sachs. Among other things, uh, he is an author, uh, Why Gender Matters, Boys Adrift, Girls on the Edge, and the New York Times bestseller, The Collapse of Parenting. He also speaks um, to parents and teachers and schools across the country. Dr. Leonard Sachs, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me. So I want you to, um, I want you to tell us the story of the father in Menlo Park, or maybe it's the story of the teacher in Menlo yes. Park, but it's definitely the story behind the conversation about the broken alliance of teachers and parents. So... Uh... I was speaking to parents at uh, middle school in Menlo Park, California, which is the heart of Silicon Valley. It's an affluent community. And I was giving uh, my talk on, on virtue and character and how all these studies where you follow kids from childhood into adulthood show that virtue and character predict health, wealth, and happiness uh, 20 years down the road better than grade point average or um, uh, even emotional stability. And so I was saying to parents that your first priority then has to be to teach honesty uh, and conscientiousness. Well, a, a woman is waving her hand in the front row. And, you know, when you do this talk with a, you know, like 350 people there, you can't take questions until the end or you won't finish your talk. So I'm, I'm pretending to ignore this woman. Yeah, I'm looking the other way. And she's she's just going ballistic. She's waving both hands. So I, I can't pretend to ignore her anymore. I call on her. And she stands up and, and turns and addresses her neighbors because she lives there. And she teaches at a different middle school. And she proceeds to tell the uh, all of uh, the entire audience how she was giving a closed book test. And she saw a a girl cheating. Uh, she, the teacher was standing at the back of the room and a girl had her iPhone under the desk uh, looking at it and, and didn't realize the teacher could clearly see what she was doing. So the teacher quietly came up behind her, took the phone, which had answers to the test on it, and said, I'm very disappointed. I'm, I'm marking your test as zero and you can pick up your phone at the end of the day. Well, two weeks later, this teacher was summoned to the principal's office and was told that as a condition of staying employed at that school, she would have to apologize to this girl in front of the entire class. Turned out the parents are wealthy venture capitalists, have given over a million dollars to the school, and the daughter had come home in tears and said to her parents, that teacher totally humiliated me. I never want to go back to that school again. And the father said, I'm going to make that teacher apologize. And he called up one of his friends on the board and said, I want that teacher to apologize to my daughter in front of everybody. And the board member said, yes, sir, right away, sir, consider it done. 
And now what is that, what is that message that father is giving to that daughter? Don't worry about cheating. Daddy will always bail you out. Well, and that administrator, yeah. right? I mean, I'm, I'm feeling like that teacher yeah. didn't stand up teach- for the teacher. Yeah. The administration didn't stand up for the teacher. The dad clearly thinks you can buy your way out of anything. And, and, and all of and this that's the is, message they're sending oh, is that right, money talks. And, and you find that across the United States. You know, I've heard that. I've heard similar stories. I've, I've visited over 460 schools now over the last 20 years. And, and I countered a similar story at another school. In this case, a teacher pulled me into the janitor's closet and shut the door. And I'm, look, I'm looking at her like, what is this about? I'm showing her my wedding ring. I'm just, uh, but she whispers to me a similar story. What was unusual about this story was that the teacher openly broadcast this story to the entire community in front of 350 witnesses. Uh, and it's really troubling. You know, 20 years ago, if a kid got trouble in school and was caught cheating, the teacher would call the parents and the kid would probably be in, in, in more hot water at home uh, because the parents would, you know, punish the kid and take away privileges. Uh, and that was the alliance that you mentioned a moment ago, that there was an alliance and there should be an alliance because we want the same things. Both parents and teacher want this kid to grow up to be a, a man or woman of character, to fulfill their potential. We want the same thing. So we ought to be on the same team. But over the last 20 years, I have seen that alliance break and a uh, kid get in trouble in school. And now the, it's not unusual to find parents who swoop in like attorneys demanding evidence and mounting a defense. We're talking with Dr. Leonard Sachs. We're talking about the breakdown in the alliance between parents and teachers in terms of the character education of our kids. Uh, the Collapse of Parenting is the best-selling book, but you can also read an article um, by Dr. Sachs that's posted at ifstudies.org. Um, what do you think is the fix? Or what is the first step in the direction of a fix? Well, it goes both ways. Uh, you know, schools that have put in place uh, uh, some of these crazy rules like encouraging uh, girls to think of themselves as boys and boys to think of themselves as girls without even notifying parents. A lot of this transgender confusion have undermined parents' confidence in the school in some cases. Uh, you got to be, if you're the parent, you've got to be sure you're at a school that shares your values. And that may mean that you have to move. My, and I'm not asking you to do anything we didn't do. My wife and I moved from Montgomery County, Maryland, to Chester County, Pennsylvania. That's four hours. We had to sell our home, find a new job, because we were not confident in any of the schools available to us where we were living in Maryland, so we moved. Uh, and, and we're very happy now at the, at the classical Christian school where our daughter is enrolled. Uh, so you have to be sure you're at a school where your values are respected, where your values are shared, where you can work with the school. Uh, and... Again, things have changed and are continuing to change. Uh, I used to, you know, 20 years ago, I would advise parents, you know, talk to the principal. And, and uh, I, I don't do that much anymore because mm. I've learned that it very seldom accomplishes anything. If, if, the, if the school has gone off this uh, uh, left of center psychosis, 
uh, talking to the principal doesn't accomplish much. You need to switch schools. So you need to find a school that shares your values, and then you need to commit to working with the school uh, to accomplish uh, objectives. And if, you, if your daughter shares something with you that happened at school that you're concerned about, reach out and then absolutely talk to the teacher, get their side of the story uh, so that you can work with the school to accomplish that objective. Because your first priority, as I said in my talk, has to be to teach your child virtue, character, honesty. We've got uh, friends texting in, John uh, texting in saying, I'm a teacher. Everything that you're saying is so true. Um, it doesn't help when the conservative movement demonizes teachers, forgetting that some of us are believers working in this mission field. Um, John, thank you so much for uh, sharing that perspective. Yeah, we, we get that. We understand that. Tom texting in as well uh, at 877-933-2484. Tom says in, you know, in Madison, Wisconsin, a lot of the kids, a high percentage of the kids in public schools can't read or do math at grade level. Um, you know, talking about reading and math and racial concerns and kids who aren't getting, you know, at home what they need to be prepared for school. And then he says church schools are great, but sometimes very hard to afford. Um, yeah, we, we hear that. We understand that. We, we just recognize we're living in a very complex time here in the United States. And for those who... Um, are able to do homeschool or do um, some sort of collaborative education model with other Christians. Um, classical education uh, is one I'm a big fan of. I know Dr. Sachs is as well. We also recognize that in some communities that is out of reach for some families. And so other families need to step in. Like if you live in a community where you know that there are families who would be making use of classical Christian schools if they could afford it, and you could afford to do something about that, that's the kind of, um, you know, that's the kind of collaboration we need to be doing one with the other um, in our communities. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Sachs. He's going to actually walk around in how we can deal with difficult parents. And so this next portion is really going to be a conversation for those of you who are teachers, school administrators, um, members of school boards, on and on and on and on and on, because some parents have become really hard to deal with. So do you know an arrogant or condescending parent or a parent who hated school and therefore their kid does too? We're going to talk about all of that up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Our guest is Dr. Leonard Sachs. He's the author of The Collapse of Parenting. We're talking about the broken alliance of teachers and parents. And we're also going to now talk about how uh, teachers and administrators and others who have to deal with parents um, can do so when those parents are, frankly, difficult. So, Dr. Sachs, um, what do we do with an arrogant or a condescending parent? So, indeed, that's my workshop dealing with difficult parents, uh, which I have led now at many schools. And I begin with that story from Menlo Park. What should the teacher have done? Uh, she was right to reprimand the students. She was right to take the phone. But then she should have immediately called the parents. Uh, 
you've got to reach dad before daughter does. Because once dad makes that promise to his daughter, I'm going to make that teacher pay, he's not going to stand down for that promise. You've got to get to him first. So you, you call him at work and, and, and you say, uh, dad, I'm so sorry to, to bother you at work, but something really big happened today and your daughter's going to be upset and it just breaks my heart. But, but I caught her teaching. I, I caught her cheating on an exam. And when she gets home today, she's going to be upset because it's embarrassing. Uh, and I get that. But, Dad, this is, this is your chance to communicate to her that you'd rather she get a C or a D on the test honestly than cheat and get an A. And uh, use the phrase, as you know, a lot, even if you're pretty sure they don't know. Say, Dad, as you know, there's so many studies that show that honesty and character predict good outcomes 20 years down the road, health, wealth, and happiness, better than grades at school. Whether you get an A or a C on the test doesn't predict, your grade point average does not predict health, wealth, and happiness 20 years down the road, doesn't. But honesty does. So, Dad, you and I, we got to work together to teach your daughter that honesty matters more. And, Dad, I'm just the teacher. Next year, she'll be moving on. She don't, I don't expect her to care what I think. But, Dad, you're her dad, and you will always be her dad. And she cares immensely what you think. So, Dad, it counts so much. you got to have my back here. When she gets home today, you got to show that you love her, that you care for her, but you got to remind her that you'd rather she get a C or D on the test honestly than cheat and get an A. You got to get to that dad first. You also got to explicitly create the alliance. Say something like, I love your daughter. When she comes in the room, my heart sinks and I want what is best for her. I want her to fulfill her potential just as you want her to fulfill her potential. Dad, we're on the same team. You got to explicitly announce and, and create the alliance. And then just like any good salesperson, you got to ask, you got to make the ask. You got to say, dad, I need your help. I need you to have my back to, to, to explain to her that virtue and character are more important than grade point average. And the funny thing is, you know, I've been a, I've been a medical doctor in the United States for 35 years. And as recently as 20 years ago, it would have been common for American parents to say something like, do unto others. But over the last 20 years, I've seen that, that command soften, morph into a question. And the question often, often something like, well, how would you feel if someone did that to you? And the parent has no idea what to say when their son responds. If someone did that to me, I'd kick him in the nuts and then I'd sit on his face. Uh, that's part of what I mean by the collapse of parenting. Parents are uncertain, they're unsure of their own authority, and they want their kids to get into good colleges, so they think that grade point average is the most important thing. It's not. Virtue and character is the most important thing, and parents have lost sight of that. Again, that's part of what I mean by the collapse of parenting. American parents have lost sight of what their job is. Their first job is to teach virtue and character, on, uh, character. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. You got to what most English translations say something like teach them diligently to your children, but that Hebrew there, means literally to chisel these laws in the hearts of your children, inscribe them and size them on the hearts of your children. And instead, parents have backed off and are letting kids decide. And that's a big mistake. Dr. Sachs, I think part of this um, gets to the 
root question, which is why did you have these kids in the first place? Why did you have kids? Why do you have kids? And it would seem to me that the way that we have commodified kids in the culture that, you know, they're they're there to adorn the adult's life. They're there to make the adult look good. They're there to, um, you know, serve as jewelry. I mean, essentially. Like, yeah, right, I don't, as a, as I'm a, sorry. I, I don't buy that. You don't that. see I'm, that? Uh, I good. don't. I, occasionally, occasionally. But I'm telling you, I work as a family doctor. I work with a lot of parents who love their kids and who want what is best for their kids, but they're confused. And they mm, read articles confused. in the New York Times. And I cite an article in the New York Times where the New York Times columnist says that good parenting means letting your kids decide. Good parenting means letting them choose their own right and wrong. Well, that's not good parenting. That's a dereliction of duty. But this parent reads the New York Times, and that's what their parenting expert tells them to do. So the parents are confused. They want what's best for their kids, but, but they'll say, well, I just want her to be happy. And they think the best way for kids to be happy is let kids do whatever they want. And the parents are confused and they're mistaken. They want what's best for their kids, but they're immersed in a toxic culture that has forgotten that virtue and character matter more than getting into a good college, matter more than earning lots of money. And so they're adrift. And the result is kids who are adrift and think that cheating is okay. That's so helpful. Thank you. Thank you for that correction and that corrective. Um, One more listener text that I think you're going to really appreciate. It's from Lisa. Lisa says, I'm a former teacher married to an active teacher. And in our 35 plus years of experience, we have seen an expansive shift in parenting and the school family connection. Your guest is speaking great wisdom today. Thank him for us. So, Dr. Sachs, um, on behalf of Lisa and everybody else listening, thank you. Thank you so much. You guys can find uh, Dr. Leonard Sachs online at leonardsachs.com. The book is The Collapse of Parenting. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Let me encourage you today to be a person of, of prayer. Be sending prayers up consistently throughout this day. This is going to be one of those pray without ceasing days. And my guess is there will be many days like this to follow. So as you hear uh, the names of places and maybe even of people, pray the names of the places you hear. Lift it up to God. He's got the whole world in his hands. Pray for the people whose faces you see in pictures. Pray for those in leadership in the United States and around the world. Pray for the members of the military. Pray for parents of children and children of aged parents in these places, the most vulnerable. Pray for orphans and pray for um, people who don't have anyone to come help them find a place to hide. Pray for those who don't understand what's going on, those with mental health conditions, and pray for those who are seeking to explain it to them. Pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray Christians would be ready to answer when others ask. Pray that we would be prepared to share the peace which passes all understanding. Pray for a global great awakening, a world revival. And remember, Christ is overcome. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.